Luke chapter 4 tonight. Luke chapter 4. Not to mention that, but the balcony will be able to hear me and you won't, well, you won't be able to sleep as easily. We'll say that. Luke chapter 4, verse number 1. Now, I have a lot of sub points tonight, but I hope I can get through them quickly. Uh, we, we're actually quite ahead of schedule. It is uh, now 6.50, so we're doing good. In 10 minutes, you're supposed to be out, so I'm sure that'll happen. Luke chapter 4, verse number 1, the passage of Scripture that we're going to read is quite famous. Please do your very best to discipline your mind and focus in on what the Bible has to say. Luke chapter 4, verse number 1, the Bible says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou, uh, thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Heavenly Father, tonight I ask that you'd bless the Word of God. I pray that you would allow it to penetrate our hearts. We have a lot of side tra uh, distractions and things calling for our attention. But Lord, tonight I pray that we would focus in on what the Bible has for us. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would break through hearts of stone and that it would move uh, uh, moldable hearts. Father, I pray that your word would speak through me as it has already spoken to me. Lord, remove me of any uh, anxiety, any things that I would want to accomplish with this sermon. Remove all of my agendas, and Lord, may I just simply focus in on what your Holy Spirit is trying to direct me to say. Father, I pray that this sermon would be a blessing, but that it would also be an encouragement and instruction to those that need it tonight. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, every day, Christians face an abundance of temptations. It's on every hand, and it seems like in our society it is only getting more and more prevalent. I recently heard of a Christian family inside of our church having to get rid of their t television because the commercials was what was making it difficult to watch TV. And I'll tell you what, that family's probably not too far offline when you do watch some of the commercials that come on. Every commercial seems to be about alcohol or the party that can be had by this type of music or this type of influence. And I tell you what, our world is getting to the point where it is just a, a abundance of temptations on every hand. And my friend, you're not above temptation. Neither am I. And so tonight I want to simply speak to you on this topic. Our defense against temptations. Our defense against temptations temptations. Now, when the Great Wall of China was built, it was obviously quite an imposing structure for those who would fight against China. As far as attacking China, it seemed almost impenetrable for someone to actually take over that wall. However, it was not too long that somebody did defeat the wall. Now, the wall is in stature an amazing feat of mankind's ability to labor and accomplish something. 
Now, contrary to popular belief, the Great Wall of China cannot be seen from outer space without the help of some type of viewing uh, uh, apparatus. But it is nonetheless an amazing structure. The Great Wall of China expands 5,500 miles today. It is 15 to 30 feet wide, depending on which point of the wall you're at, and it is 20 feet, 25 feet tall. It's an amazing structure. You may be asking yourself, well, how did somebody during those times defeat the Great Wall of China? Well, it was quite a brilliant strategy, actually. They bribed the gatekeeper. See, they, they realized that they could not uh, bore under it. They could not climb over it. There was no going around it. So the only way that they could defeat the Great Wall of China and actually get through it was to go right through it. If you study your Bible, Jesus has given us all the tools we need to be overcomers. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We have an amazing force, an amazing tool chest, if you will, on how to defeat temptation. And I would say it not only envies, but it actually puts shame to the Great Wall of China because of the power that is at our fingertips. Then how does Satan so often trick us? How so often are we led away by the lusts of our flesh and, and all the things that call for our attention? And how so often do we find ourselves falling victim to temptation? Well, it's because the only flaw in the system is you. You're the gatekeeper. You're the gatekeeper. Now, Jesus has made this amazing system, and He has empowered us to, to be able to conquer, but oftentimes we fail. So tonight I want to point out how we can defend ourselves against temptation. Look with me first of all tonight at the possibilities of temptation. The possibilities of temptation. Look in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Jesus. And Jesus. Now who's our passage speaking of tonight? Let's be very clear. It is not the Apostle Paul. It is not Moses. It is not Abraham. It is not Peter. It is not John. It is not David. It is not Daniel. It is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Now what is this passage? It is the temptation of Jesus Christ. I want to first of all point out to you that temptation can come to anyone. If you uh, are breathing right now, and you have a pulse and a heartbeat, if you're able to form a sentence, or even if you're not able to form a sentence, you are not above temptation. If the devil thought it was profitable for him to go after Jesus Christ, who could not sin, even if he had wanted to, if the devil went after Jesus, I just happen to think that he's willing to go after you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You see, every man deals with temptation. Elijah faced temptations. Elisha faced temptations. David faced temptations even when he was a monarch of, of Israel. The king standing on his balcony, he faced temptation. No one is above temptation. It is the Pharisee who thinks they are. It is the person that thinks they've reached some level of spirituality or some level of, uh, 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 of holiness that thinks that some small temptation is not big enough for you. Uh, I, I've heard several uh, times pastors say, well, this type of temptation doesn't really uh, scream out at me. It's that person who needs to take heed lest he fall, because when you say this temptation can't take me down, it's that temptation that the devil will most likely use to bring you down. No man is above temptation. Not only can temptation come to any person, temptation can come at any period. Look here in verse number 1. The Bible says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, if you'll allow me to liber the liberty tonight... I would like to describe this as Jesus retreating into a place of solitude for spiritual recharge. Now, I don't think a Christian ought to go to seven retreats because at some times we have to charge, right? seems like Baptists are always going on retreats, but we're never charging anything. 
I don't think retreats are all the time good, but I do think sometimes it's good to step aside, get alone with the Lord, and recharge your battery spiritually, and get a word from God so that you have some strength and some power. And I believe that's what Jesus is doing. The Spirit of God moved Jesus to the wilderness. And I find it odd that now is the time that Satan decides to attack him. Why would Satan attempt to attack him while he's trying to get close to the Father? Have you ever noticed how many valleys precede mountains? You see, it's when God opens the gates of heaven to uh, bless you that the devil will open the gates of hell to blast you. Satan knows when you're trying to get spiritual. Satan knows when you're trying to get close to the Lord. Satan knows, and so what does he do? He attacks you at that very moment to distract you, to sidetrack you from doing what you went to do. He attacks Jesus at this period. I find that unique. I find it unique that uh, after Moses had the great victory at the Red Sea, it was not just just a few days later, the children of Israel were saying, Oh, we have nothing to eat. Oh, we can't. We've, we, we don't have any. You just brought us out here to die in the desert because there were no graves for us in Egypt. It's immediately after the great victory of the Red Sea that they faced this valley of complaining. And Moses struggled with that. It's immediately after Mount Carmel that Elijah sees the great victory in slaying all the prophets and calling fire down from heaven. It's immediately after this that Jezebel sends word that she's going to kill Elijah. And so he retreats into the, into the wilderness and he's sad and depressed, so lonely. He says, God, if you would just take my life. It is immediately after our greatest triumphs that the devil will send the greatest temptations. And you must be very cautious when, the, when this happens. I've been youth director now four years. I believe this will be my fifth year that I've been youth director as I've gone to youth camp. I've been involved with youth camp much longer than that. I've gone to youth camp ever since I was two years old. And the story is told of me relieving myself on the oak tree right outside the cafeteria. And all the kids were looking out the cafeteria watching me uh, bless that tree with holy water. And all the kids point and laugh at me. I've been going to youth camp ever since I was just knee-high to a grasshopper, if you like that old phrase. I, I, I know all about youth camp. And you know when teenagers face the greatest temptation? On the bus ride back. You say, Brother Andrew, but what about when they get home? What, what, what about when they see their friends? No, from my experience, especially nowadays, the greatest temptation comes when you hand their phone back to them. Because while they went and purified their lives all week at camp, guess what? That cell phone didn't hit the altar. And it's still got the same music. It's still got the same pictures. It's still got the same social media accounts. It's still got the same filth it had on it on Monday. And it still has it on Friday. And as soon as they turn that puppy on, the greatest temptation they face is immediately after the spiritual high. And rest assured, friend, it's no different from a teenager as it is an adult. Tonight, the greatest temptation you'll face is as soon as you leave these doors. The greatest temptation you'll face is as soon as you get up from this altar, Satan will put a bullseye on your back. Temptation can come to any person, and it will come at any period. I want you to notice this. It can come in any place. In verse number 1, the Bible says, And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, this would not traditionally be something that I would point out or that I would find intriguing, but I do want to make an observation here. Jesus Christ faced his temptation in the wilderness alone. And the very first man to fall faced his in the garden accompanied. Adam faced his temptation with Eve in the garden. Jesus faces his temptation alone and in the wilderness. 
And traditionally, in the Bible, the wilderness has been associated with a place of solitude and dryness and barrenness. And the garden has been uh, traditionally associated with plenty and spiritual blessing and abundance. So it doesn't matter whether you're going through a dry spell or whether you got blessings coming out of your ears. There is never a time when you are above temptation. And Satan wants to make you, he is your adversary. He is, the, uh, he is the exact opposite of Christ in everything that he does. Christ is our advocate. He is our accuser. Christ stands on one side of the Father saying, Father, help them. Father, bless them. Father, and the devil sits there and points out every flaw and every failure that you have. Satan does not want to help you. He wants to destroy you. As Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan hath the desire to sift you as wheat. Satan does not want what's good for you. And it does not matter what time, who you are, where it is. It does not matter. Satan wants to take you down. The possibilities of temptation. One day a man came into a doctor and looked at his doctor as he was holding his arm. And the doctor said, well, I, uh, I, I seem to have hurt my arm. And the doctor said, well, what happened? And the man says, well, I, I think I broke it in two places. The doctor looked at the man and he said, well, I'd stay away from those places then. You know, there's never a place that you can get away. There is no insulation from temptation. I, I, I face some of my greatest temptations inside the walls of this building. Some of the biggest mistakes I've ever made have been on church activities. There's not a place that you can escape. You must be prepared at all times. I I, I like how the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, be ready, be on alert, because the devil wants to take you down. But a lot of Christians just sit here in this meditative, almost lackadaisical manner, as if Satan does not really hate your guts. And I just want to make very clear, Satan is no more of a lullaby story than Noah's Ark was. They're both real, and they both happened. We must take that serious, and we must realize that there are a lot of possibilities with temptation. They can come at any person, at any place, and at any uh, point. I want you to know, secondly with me, the points of testing. The points of testing. Now, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I love how the Bible gives us a perfectly good look at how Satan's going to attack you. I recall to your mind not only this passage of Scripture, but the passage of Scripture where Satan deceived Eve into taking the fruit. Notice with me in our passage tonight, verse number 3, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Now you read in just the previous verse that Jesus had been uh, alone and, and, and by himself for 40 days. And the Bible says, and in those days he did eat nothing. So he was hungry. And now the devil points at a rock and he says, oh, he's, he's a man. Surely this will get him. And he points at a rock and says, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, how about you turn this stone into bread to nourish you? And, you know, Satan is very clever, but he's not very creative. You say, what do you mean? Well, I mean, he's cunning. He's smart. But he doesn't create anything. Everything he does is borrowed of God. God is truth, so Satan is the counter opposite of truth. He's a liar. God is light, so Satan is darkness. There is nothing creative about Satan. And since the beginning of time, at the very first fall of man, he's attacked Christians and people alike at the same exact manner. First of all, I want you to notice he will appeal to your passions. That's what he says here. He looks at Jesus, and Jesus is hungry, and he points over to a rock to the side, and he says, Jesus, how about you turn that bread into something to nourish you? And this is the lust of the flesh. 
This was Jesus needing something and craving something, and Jesus would, it is not wrong to eat, but Jesus was on a retreat to get closer to the Father and to have fellowship with the Father. And so Satan looks at him and says, how about you prioritize this bread over the fellowship that you're seeking with the Father? There's nothing wrong with bread, but at that point it would have been wrong for Jesus to take it because that was not the priority God was the priority. The lust of the flesh, in most cases, uh, fleshly desires are not bad. It is when those desires overtake you and prioritize themselves over God that then they become bad. The lust of the flesh. This includes all types of things like uh, uh, drinking, a desire to fill a buzz, a desire to feel good, and maybe not even to remember the the debt that you have, it includes those types of things. It includes pornography, a man desi- desiring something that is not within God's plan for his life. It includes all types of things, but they all appeal to your passions. It's when you desire something outside of God's will for your life. Secondly, he will appeal to possessions. Look in verse number 5. The Bible says, And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, and showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. As Satan now is tempting Jesus. He's appealing to possessing things. He points out all the kingdoms of the world. And I find this to be a very trivial thing to offer Jesus, don't you? Look at all this. And I I wish Jesus would have just said, well, how much of it did you create? But Satan looks at Jesus and says, all this can be yours. And he's trying to appeal to Jesus and, and the desire to have possessions. One of the most epidemic religions in America right now is materialism. You say oh, materialism is not a religion. Okay, you try taking away something that a man loves. You try taking his RV away. You try taking his home away. You try taking those things that a man loves and desires, and we'll see if he won't shoot you on the spot. Materialism has become a huge thing in America because we're so blessed and we have such an abundance of things that we have desired the thing, and we have allowed the thing to own us instead of us owning the thing. This is Satan taking us up at the car lot. Give me a little leeway. This is Satan going to the car lot and saying, look, all of this can be yours. And that salesman, all my salesmen have been named Satan. I don't know about y'all. Come right over here. Look at the Eddie Bauer edition. And they say, oh, only 100,000 more, only 100,000 more. And I say, pesos? Pesos? It is Satan allowing and he's playing with your covetous nature. He's saying, look at all you can have, and it's the lust of the eye. It's looking at things and desiring those things which you are not to have. And there's nothing wrong with having things as long as those things do not have you. He appeals to your passions. He appeals to possessions. And I want you to notice, thirdly, he appeals to your pride. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Let me kind of make this into a New Andrews translation. If you are who you say you are, God's already promised he's going to take care of you. So how about you just jump down off the temple and some angels are going to swoop down under you and take you off and usher you like the Son of God that you are. And Satan is almost massaging the ego of Christ here, saying, you're, you're the Son of God. And if you are who you say you are, you're God's number one priority. And He'll take care of you no matter what. 
I tell you what, at the root of every sin is pride. But especially so when it comes to the pride of life. It's you desiring to have success, have achievement, have authority. It's you wanting something, and I tell you what, modern day, this is what keeps most preachers from surrendering. See, there's a lot of preachers in our congregations today. But the thing that keeps men from surrendering to God's call on their life is, oh, but you won't be making six figures if you go to the ministry. Oh, but you won't have the clout. Uh, You won't have the 401K. You won't have all of these things that everybody else has. You won't have the prestige. I liked the other day, me and Brother Sean were at an event. We were soul winning. And by that, I mean we were shooting clay pigeons. So they're close to the same thing. And uh, Brother Sean used to work at a Best Buy. He used to be a, a, a manager of a store there. And, and everybody knew him. I, the first time I ever went into Brother Sean's store before he came on staff here, I, as soon as I walked into the store, I saw how every person reacted to Brother Sean in the store. And I'm not trying to brag on Brother Sean, but I'm just saying, he was a leader, and everyone in his store respected him. And I, 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 I thought that was admirable. Well, the other day, as we were out at this event, there, there were some people who were familiar with Brother Sean, a, a city councilman from Arlington. And this city councilman come up to Brother Sean and said, Sean, well, hey, how you doing? And Sean shook his hand, and he said, uh, what are you doing now? And Sean said, I'm actually working at a church. And it was like the countenance of the man changed. Like, uh, it kind of threw him for a loop. And then he looked and he said, yeah, and this young pimple-faced kid here is my pastor. And that guy said, really? And Sean said, you know what? I just had enough of the business world and enough of the retail world. And I just wanted to do something at my church. Man, I like that. Now, I'm not trying to raise Brother Sean up in your minds or anything like that. I don't think this is the place to brag on men because if there's one man that deserves to be bragged on, it's Jesus Christ, and he's the only one. But at the same time, it's an admirable thing when somebody puts all what our world calls success and achievement aside to pursue a passion and a desire to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. But so many preachers sit in our our our, our service week after week, knowing God has called them and yet never voicing it because they want the things that the world tells them to have. And it's such a shame. The Bible says this about Jesus Christ. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was never offered a joint, but he sure had the lust of the flesh thrust upon him. Jesus never suffered from any type of covetous nature, but he had to face Satan this day saying, Look at all the kingdoms of the world, and I will give these to you. Jesus faced everything you face, and yet he was without sin. How many of you know that I love fishing? Uh, I actually love hunting a little more, but that's only because I never catch fish when I go fishing. But uh, I, I do enjoy it. I've, I've really loved it from a very young age. I used to watch Bill Dance and Roland Martin and Jimmy Houston and those guys. And you say, I don't even know who these guys are. Well, neither does the guy that watches bass fishing today because these are all old guys. I love these guys. I remember one time I was writing Bill Dance a letter on Dad's yellow legal pad. Dad wrote the letter for me because I told him what I wanted to say. And I sat down and I was trying to copy it in my own handwriting. And I kept messing up. And I didn't want to send Bill Dance uh, something with my squiggle marks on it. And, and so I was doing my very best. And I, I, I've, I've watched fishing ever since I was itty-bitty. I remember one day a, a commercial came on the television about Jimmy Houston's helicopter lures. Now, I've never seen a fish eat a helicopter. But I'm sure if they were in the water, they would. And these look nothing like a bait fish. They look nothing like a minnow. And yet I saw them on the television, and I saw how how those bass ate those uh, helicopter lures. Uh, What they don't tell you is those bass hadn't been fed in three weeks. So they're actually eating themselves. And so a helicopter lure comes through, hey, maybe that's tasty, and they eat that. So I 
I told Dad, Dad, I want this. I want this. I've watched fishing my whole life. But you know what I've learned, and I heard this saying a long time ago, and it spoke volumes to me. Lures are not meant or not designed to catch fish. They're designed to catch fishermen. You say, what do you mean? I say, if you go into a fisherman's tackle box, and I'm talking about somebody who, who really spends some time fishing, they'll have thousands of lures, all different colors, all different shapes, sizes, and they say, well, this one's better in murky water, this one's better in, uh, in cold water, this one's slower, this one's for a different depth. But you know what I've found? Minnows and worms don't change color, and fish still eat them. Lures were never designed to catch fish. They're designed to make fishermen spend their money on them. Now, I'm so thankful tonight that Satan does not have this huge tackle box where he can throw this thing in my way and this thing in my way. You know what Satan has? He has three baits. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The Bible tells us in 1 John 2 that none of them are of the Father, and they're of this world. But he doesn't have a large tackle box. As I said earlier, Satan's clever, but he's not creative. If you'll recall, these are the same three things that he got Eve on. He says, Yea, hath God said, Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree? And the Bible says, Eve looked at the tree and saw it was good for food. A tree to be desired to make one wise. You see, all three of the temptations that Satan uses on you, he used on Eve. He's not creative, but you need to know we are not ignorant to his devices. And we know exactly what he's going to throw in your way. But let me ask you, are you aware of it when he does it? The points of testing. I want you to notice thirdly, And you say, Brother Andrew, you're flying through this message. Yes, I am, but I don't think it would be wise to think you're getting out early. I want to share with you finally the principles of triumph when it comes to temptation. The principles of triumph when it comes to temptation. Look with me. The Bible speaks of a principle of sonship. A principle of sonship. Look back in Luke chapter 3, verse 22. Now this in chapter 3 is when Jesus Christ is baptized by John the Baptist. And we all know the scene that day. It was quite an emotional scene. John in John chapter 1 looks up and says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. John says, I, 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 I shouldn't baptize you. And it's an amazing scene. Verse 22 of chapter 3 in the book of Luke says, And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved, what's the next word there? Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now we could go several, several, several places in the Bible, probably hundreds of places in the Bible that speak to how Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And when you study that part of Scripture, you'll learn that when Jesus made that statement to the Pharisees and everybody that was standing around him, it was not a subordinate role because they said when Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, he was making himself equal with God. So Jesus does not serve a subordinate role to the Father. He is the Father. And it's an amazing thing that we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But can I say this tonight and pay attention? The only person who can overcome temptation is the Son of God. The only person who can overcome temptation is the Son of God. If you'll look in uh, Revelation chapter 12, you can take your own time and look over there. Revelation 12, there's a crazy scene going on in the uh, atmosphere. I don't even know exactly how to describe it, but basically Satan and his fallen angels are fighting Michael and the the other two-thirds of angels that did not rebel with Satan. 
And it's an amazing scene because the Bible says that they're literally fighting it out. But Michael and his angels prevailed over Lucifer and his angels. And if you'll study and read in chapter 12, you want to know how they overcame them? The Bible says, and they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. Even before Jesus Christ died on the cross, the only thing that made Satan cower down was Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb. Now I'll repeat what I said earlier. The only person that can defeat temptation and overcome temptation is the Son of God. Now you say, well, that means that I'm going to struggle then. That means that there's no way that I could do it. I mean, obviously Jesus could be successful, but I don't, I, it doesn't matter to me. How, Brother Andrew, how am I going to be successful? John chapter 1, verse 12 says this. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the, what's the next word? Sons of God. There's a principle of sonship here that you cannot overcome temptation unless you're a child of God. Unless you're redeemed, justified, sanctified, purified, unless you're all of those things, you can't overcome temptation. The Bible says before we met Jesus, we were children of wrath. Before we met Jesus, we were seeking our own way and our own path. And that own way and own path was uh, deceitfully wicked. And we were seeking our own means. And we could never please the Father apart from being a child of God. The principle of sonship is this. You cannot overcome temptation unless you've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. For it's only the blood of the Lamb that even scares Satan. A principle of sonship. I want you to notice this. A principle of submission. A principle of submission. John chapter 8 verse 29 says this. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now that's Jesus talking. And he says, I only do the things that please the Father. John chapter 6, verse 38 says, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. In order for you to be an overcomer of temptation, you first of all have to be a child of God, but secondly, you have to hear what God says and do what God says. Occasionally I'll turn on a, a television preacher, just, I guess, for fun, maybe. I, I, I love preaching and I, I'm pretty good at spotting out, you know, false doctrine and error. So I'm not too afraid of taking in what they're putting out. But the other day I saw the potter's house on. And I like me old brother T.D. Jakes. Now, he's not right on everything, but i tell you what, he's got some passion. And I like the church because they get the organ playing in there. That's what we need. We need some organ while we're preaching. Amen? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Can I get a hallelujah? I think that, that would be pretty good, but... I think if we ever did that, we'd have a father, a senior pastor up here wringing my neck. So I don't think we're going to do that. People could say whatever they want to about Brother T.D. Jakes, but as I listened to him preach, you know what he was saying? You cannot encounter Jesus and be, not be changed. Every story in the Bible of someone who truly meets and acknowledges Jesus as Savior you know what happens to them? There's a difference. They're changed. They don't become perfect. Peter made a lot of mistakes, but I tell you what, he was a whole lot different as a disciple as he was a fisherman. Every person that comes in contact with Jesus has to change. And in order for you to be an overcomer of temptation, you have to do one thing. You have to be saved. But secondly, you have to do what he says. God has given us plenty of doctrine, plenty of theology, plenty of instruction, plenty of everything for us to just hear what He says and prioritize what He says. And the reason that Jesus was able to overcome temptation in Luke chapter 4 was no big deal for Him is because He looked at Satan and said, Satan, I'm not here to sin. I'm here to do what my Father says. And if you'll prioritize God's will in your life like Jesus did, 
Temptation will become a much smaller thing. A principle of sonship, a principle of submission. Notice thirdly, principle of strengthening. Look in chapter 4, verse number 1 of Luke. The Bible says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says on down in verse 1, And was led by the Spirit. Look over in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Verse number 18 of chapter 4, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's Jesus speaking. Now if you read these chapters, you have to understand and admit that Jesus is being led of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, and being strengthened by the Spirit. The only reason He was ever in the wilderness is because He was told to go to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit of God. And now that He's there, He's communing with the Holy Spirit of God and with the Father. And then throughout the chapter, the Bible says, And He was led of the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. As He preached, the Spirit of God was upon Him. And you have to understand this. In your own strength, you are weaker than weak. That's why Jesus looked at His disciples and said, The Spirit indeed is willing. You want to do right, but the flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. You are an imperfect person trying to do perfect deeds, and it will always fail. But I've got good news for you. 2 Corinthians says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It is God using your weakness and making you a strong individual. Well, how does he do that? 1 John chapter 4 says this. Verse number 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, while Satan may be the prince and power of the air, I know one who created the air. And while Satan may be a a beautiful creature, and if you study your Bible, he is, but at the same time, I know the one who created him. And Satan may have a lot of power, but the Bible says that the powers that be are ordained of God. There is no power but of God. In other words, Satan would have no power except it was given to him by God. And there will come a day when Satan is bound in chains and he can't do anything about it because God will be the one that puts him there. And I'm so thankful tonight to give you the promise that God will be, always has been, and forever shall be, greater and stronger than this old devil that's trying to bring you down. He always will be. But here's the thing. He has given you a perfect assistant to help you. Oh, it's not an assistant you have to call up. It's not somebody that you have to summon to get. No, it's the Holy Spirit of God who lives and abides in your heart. And the very moment you repent of your sin and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and seals you. And He forever stays with you. Well, why does He do that? Oh, I promise you one thing. It's not so that you can drag Him down to the bar. I can promise you one thing. It's not so that you can go view uh, immoral images. It's not so that you can go do uh, sinful deeds. The reason God gave you the Holy Spirit was not to grieve the Spirit, but that the Spirit of God could help you and strengthen you. And if Jesus needed the Spirit to be strong, I think we do too. The Spirit of God is your strength. The principle of sonship, the principle of submission, the principle of strengthening. I want you to notice this. The principle of Scripture. Verse number 4 of Luke chapter 4. The Bible says, is it hot to anybody in here? I am smoking hot. I don't know if it's because I'm wearing a jacket, because I'm screaming, or because I'm holding this microphone to my face and I'm not getting any air. I don't know, but I am hot. Luke chapter 4, verse number 4. I want to show you the principle of Scripture. The Bible says, And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, Jesus is quoting Scripture here. Look at verse number 8. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, 
Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He quotes more scripture to him. Verse number 12, the Bible says, And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, or it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now we know that straight out of the Bible. Jesus, in the three temptations that Satan offers to him, Jesus, how does he respond? With Scripture. Scripture. You want to know the reason you ought to be a Bible student? Is because that is how you draw strength as a Christian. You want to know the reason you ought to study your Bible? Is so that Satan doesn't get you by throwing every wind of doctrine at, at, at your feet so that you can just be swayed to and fro as people tell you this and people say this is true. Well, if you study your Bible, you'll know whether it's true. Everything in this book is truth. God gave us His truth in the Word of God. Now, you have to study it. You have to know it. There's a principle of Scripture. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation, but pay attention here. Notice this. And the sword of the Spirit. The sword of who? The Spirit. Which is the Word of God. Now, this is obviously speaking of the armor that a Christian has. You've got your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. You've got all these uh, instruments of armor. But the Bible says, take the uh, uh, sword of the who? Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now here, let me encourage you to do this. The next time you're tempted, don't quote Scripture at the devil. Because the devil knows more Scripture than you. He's forgotten more Scripture than you'll ever know. Satan's so good at twisting the Scripture. In fact, think of the ignorance of this. Satan already knows his demise. He knows how he's going to go down. He's read the back of the book, and yet he continues to do it. Satan knows Scripture, so it will do you no good to quote Scripture at Satan. So how do you use Scripture to defeat temptation like this? It is the sword of who? The Spirit. It is not your sword. It is the sword of the Spirit. In other words... How does the Spirit strengthen you? We know the Spirit does strengthen us, but how? Through the Word of God. It is at the moment of temptation when the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are all hitting you. It is at that very moment that the, the Spirit of God, which abides in your heart, can bring up a verse and say not to Satan, but say to you, that there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be attempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verse 10. So you're not quoting that at Satan, because it does Satan no good to have the Spirit of God. You understand, the Spirit of God speaks it to you. How do you draw strength? Allow the Word of God to permeate your life so that the next time you're in that moment of temptation, the Spirit of God can strengthen you through the sword of the Spirit. Oh, we've got it all wrong. We think that we just go around quoting Scripture and old Satan will go away. No, the way you beat Satan is resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist him? Allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to strengthen you. The principle of Scripture. I want you to notice finally with me. We're done. And I'm winded and really hot. The principle of satisfaction. The principle of satisfaction. Now, in all these temptations, Satan has come to Jesus and he has said, Jesus, you currently do not have bread, so how about you make bread? The other temptation, he comes to Jesus and he takes him up on the mountain. He says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. You currently do not hold the kingdoms of the world, but if you will just bow to me, I will give you those kingdoms. He takes Jesus upon the pinnacle of the temple and he says, Jesus, you are not currently being recognized as the Son of God. In fact, nobody's hardly even listening to your ministry. You're currently not being recognized as the Son of God, so if you are the Son of God, cast yourself down. Everybody will see the angels, and, and then you'll be recognized as who you rightfully are. And Satan is 
painting a picture of discontentment in his own life, is he not? I say this with all the respect as I can. Satan is a pervert. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? I mean, God offers us so many blessings, and you know what Satan does? He perverts them. You see, food is a good thing. I like food, especially good food. Food made by my wife is good food. Food made by my mama is slightly not quite as good food as my wife, but it is still very good food. Yeah, it's points for not mom's mad at me. Amy's happy, but mom's mad at me. I love good food. Good is a, a food is a good thing. How many of you in here tonight have a favorite meal of some kind? You say, if I had to eat my last meal, if I was on death row, wrongfully accused, of course, but if I was on death row and I had to have one last meal, I think I could think of where it would be from, who would cook it, all that. How many of you have that? Raise your hand. Do you have something like that? Now, Brother Jim, I know you've got one somewhere. You did not raise your hand. How many of you have a favorite meal? Raise your hand. Everybody. Everybody's got a favorite meal. You got something you like. Okay, good. Brother Luke has McDonald's hamburgers. <laughs> Amen, Brother Luke. Everybody's got food that they like. Food in and of itself is not a bad thing. Food becomes a bad thing when you prioritize it over God. And Satan has perverted food into taking so much of it that it becomes then gluttony and sin. Satan's a pervert. Sex inside the bounds of marriage is a beautiful thing. And it's a shame that we cower down from speaking of it in a church because God is the one who ordained marriage. And God gave us that as a, as a beautiful picture of marriage. That's great. But what did Satan do? He perverted it. And any perversion, fornication, adultery, those things are perversion of a beautiful thing that God gave us. Everything that God gave us, Satan perverted it. And he tells you that what he offers is better than what you have or you have access to. In other words, he tells the teenager that waiting after marriage to have sex is kind of an old-fashioned thing. And it's kind of outdated, and so he says, well, you can just do it now, and then you can uh, do it later, and it'll all be happy. But God offers us something that's beautiful, and he offers us a wicked, vulgar substitute. And this is with every sin. Satan is a pervert. God gave us the ability to communicate with one another. He, he gave us the ability to encourage one another and edify one another with speech. And we speak to one another and we, we get on the same team and we have the ability to preach and sing praises to our God. And what did Satan do? He even corrupted communication. He allows us to slander people and cut people down and say, Oh, well, she must have gone to the blah, 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 blah. She must go to the tanning salon. And we slander people. Not only did he slander communication, he corrupted communication. He gave us vulgar words to say that, that everybody, regardless of churched or non-churched, recognizes vulgar. And have you ever been around somebody who freely used profanity? They say it like it's no big deal, but they say it at the appropriate time. It's not like they're ignorant on what it means. And Satan offered us something vulgar while God offered us something beautiful. With the same mouth, you can walk up to Brother Jay and say, Brother Jay, boy, you look good today. I tell you what, you must have a tan. Have you been to Disney World lately? I hear y'all had a good time. I'm happy that you got to go, Brother Jay. I'm glad you took your family down there. You look good today, Brother Jay. With the same mouth I can say that, I can also say, Brother Jay, did you eat while you went to Disney World a lot? Looks like you put on a few pounds. Yeah. Yeah, be careful with that sun down there. It'll give you skin cancer. You see, the Bible talks of it with the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. These things ought not be. Satan offers you a perversion. He tells you that the thing you currently have is not good enough, so he offers you something better. But what we must realize is every...
everything that God offers you is perfect. It's beautiful. Most of the time, it's a picture of Him, a picture of a relationship with Him. Everything that God has planned for you will bring you happiness, will bring you peace, will bring you contentment. It will bring you satisfaction. You know what the, the devil will tell you? What I have is better. But if we could, I'd like to go ask Adam and Eve if it was better in the garden or out of the garden. Was it better fellowshipping with God every day or was it better being cast out of His presence? At the end of the day, we must realize and recognize Satan for who he is. He's a liar. And he offers you nothing good. He offers you nothing plentiful, bountiful, nothing beautiful. He is a wicked deceiver and he'll tell you, oh yeah, oh yeah, alcohol, it'll do nothing but give you a good time but it hurts you in the long run. You see, we must become satisfied with exactly what our God offers. Let me tell you what He offers you. He offers you salvation. He offers you mercies that are new every morning. He offers you grace throughout your day. He has given you the, 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 the place of being a joint heir with Christ. You are an adopted child of God. That's what God offers you, and Satan wants to bring you down. I recently read a story, and we're done, of a young man who was a farmer and had been for quite some time, but he did not enjoy the pursuits of farming. In fact, he felt like the daily activity of farming was difficult and tedious. So this man, after catching news that his brother discovered some coal oil in Canada... He requested that he could come up there and be employed by his brother. His brother sent back notice that he did not have any uh, plates, places to offer him right now because he didn't know anything about oil. So the young man set out to learn everything he could about oil. He began to study it from its conception. He began to study every book he could find. Anybody who knew anything about it, he would listen to them, talk to them for a great while, it was his goal to find out every bit of information he could until the day when he had found all the information he could out about it. He knew how to find it, uh, refine it, and finally make a product that you could be usable. So this young man writes back to his brother and says, I finally learned about oil and I've learned as much as I can. I think I can offer you some assistance. And it was at that point when the brother wrote back to him and said, okay, I now have a vacancy that you can fill. The young man had a farm in Pennsylvania, and he sold his farm for the sum amount of $833. As I mentioned earlier, he had been farming this farm, but he did not enjoy the pursuits of farming. Well, the man who bought the farm went out to this place and realized that there were several things that were unique about his farm. The new man that owned the property noticed one thing that really caught his attention, and it was this. At the back of the barn, there was a creek that ran past the barn. On the barn, there was a piece of lumber that was attached and fastened to the barn and supported so that it ran through the creek almost to the other side of the creek. Now, this new farmer had been farming for quite some time, and he had never seen anything like this, so this really piqued his interest. So he began to look and, and try finding out what was the purpose of this board in, in, the, in the creek there. Well, he got down to the creek and he realized that there was a, a, a gross film on the water. And as he led his cattle down to the water, they would not drink the water that was there in the creek. But on the opposite side of this board, that film would be caught and redirected to the opposite side of the creek so that directly behind the board was clear water. And it was only there that the cattle would drink the water. The man had never seen anything like this, and he was quite accustomed to farming, so he didn't really know what to do, but he began to ask people about it, and he sought advice and sought uh, opinions on what it could be. Well, he finally found a man who came out and surveyed the property. And it was only then that that man told him that what had been flowing through that creek and what was on top of the water 
was actually crude oil. In fact, for 23 years, the man who was learning about oil did not even realize that he had been damming up one of the largest supplies of oil in the United States. We now know the location of this farm as the town Titusville, Pennsylvania. That one place where that man's farm is, the state of Pennsylvania estimated it's worth at over a hundred million dollars. And that man sold it for 833. The promise of something is not always what it turns out to be. Satan promises us so many things, but at the end of the day, you must realize there is no truth in him. And the only thing that's true about temptation is it's all a lie. It promises you happiness, it promises you peace, it promises you joy and contentment, and it offers none of those things. Today, friend, what you must realize is what God has to offer is supreme and better than what Satan offers. Temptation is a very difficult thing, but like I said at the beginning of the message, God has given us the perfect tool set to to combat it and defend it. The weakest link of the chain is you. But if we'll get serious about temptation, the Bible says he was tempted and he is able to succor or help them that have need. And there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful in that he will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to, what's the next word? Escape. 